Philippians chapter 1, and today we're going to cover the first 11 verses, and it is a letter of joy written from jail. I bet you there are some of you out here uh, today who maybe you haven't been experiencing the joy of the Lord. I I tell you what, if you study this letter with an open heart, I believe that God can change that. I believe that God can lift you up from your discouragement, your depression, your anxiety. You know, you find yourself down and despaired. Uh, This letter right here was written, man, to give us joy. It's interesting the, the word joy or the word group is found 16 times in the four chapters here. Joy, 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 joy. Even though Paul is in jail, he has a joy and he wants you to have joy. And so it's going to be something that I think God can do within us. But, but the word joy is found 16 times. But the reason he's able to have joy is because there's another reference found 61 times. And that is Jesus. In four chapters, there are 61 references to Jesus. Because did you know that Jesus is the key to joy? He is the key, right? As a matter of fact, I think we have a graphic right here I want to show you guys. Uh, Jesus first, others next, yourself last. And when you have that, that, that order in your life, you know, you're going to have joy. And so I pray, no matter what the circumstances are, that God would allow you to have that, that God would lift you up. You know, um, I was reading about uh, uh, Handel. He, he composed his amazing musical, The Messiah, in, in only uh, three weeks back in 1741. How many of you guys are, are familiar with Handel's Messiah? Hallelujah, hallelujah. You guys know that, right? right? It's an amazing work. It's lasted over 300 years. It is just beautiful. If you look at Handel's Messiah, the music, I encourage you, get the, the lyrics. and It's the whole story of Jesus. And it is scriptural. It is powerful. He wrote it in three weeks back in 1741. But it was apparently done at a time when his eyesight was failing. He would eventually go blind. Think about that in his left eye. It was also written when he was facing imprisonment because of the fact that he wasn't able to pay his bills. And so Handel, even though he was going through these difficult times, he just kept writing in the midst of these challenges. And this masterpiece, which was so majestic, was completed. And he later said the, the reason that, that, that he credited the, the completion of his work to one ingredient, One ingredient, one thing helped him finish his mission. You know what it was? Joy. It was joy. He said, as I was going through this whole thing, the the devil was not able to rob me. Circumstances were not able to rob me. Physical calamities, uncertain future was not able to rob me of my joy. And so he was able to finish. You know, he was quoted as saying that he felt as if his heart would burst with joy at what he was hearing in his mind. And sure enough, the Messiah went on to become one of the greatest compositions in the history of the world. And we're going to see this something similar with Paul the Apostle. In the midst of many challenges that he faced, chains, imprisonment, even death, the Apostle Paul was filled with joy. And we're going to see later in chapter 4, verse 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say 
rejoice. Let's just say you're facing your circumstance and it doesn't look good, but you say rejoice, thank you, Jesus. There's something about that that changes the, that, that chases the devil away, that chases discouragement away, that chases depression away. And we need that today, I think, more than ever before. As I said earlier, the word joy or rejoice or other words in the same group occurs 16 times in this little letter. So I encourage you, as you're reading through it, uh, make note of it, maybe underline it, and you guys are going to see that we're going to come out of this letter uh, a joyful a joyful church. I have this one plaque in my office someone gave me a long time ago, and I like what it says. It says, joy is peace dancing. And I've said that to you guys before, huh? But isn't that kind of cool? Joy is peace dancing. How many of you guys here dance? Like you're good dancers. I'm just curious. Come on, raise your hand. There's got to be some of you here. You're pretty good. None of you? I mean, you're pretty good dancers. Jesse Marie, I've seen you guys dance. When they dance, you know, there's something about these people that got rhythm. They dance with joy, huh? I mean, I know for me, when I dance, there's no joy because I'm like a robot. I'm like, Lord, help me here. I can't do it. But, there, but why is that? Because I don't have peace. Because I know I have no rhythm. Because, I, you know, I, I'm not good at it. But when you have peace and you see these people and they're going through life and it's almost like this dance, that's what we're talking about. That's what joy is. It is peace. I've made peace with God and peace in the midst of all my circumstances. I know he's going to work things together for good. And that, that peace, it, it, it's joy. And the next thing you know, you're dancing through life. And so a, an amazing letter, Philippians, is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Before we dive into it, though, let me give you a little bit of background on this book. God used Paul the Apostle to plant the church in Philippi. It was during his second missionary journey in AD 51 through 54. And so you read about this. I encourage you in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40. Uh, most of you guys have maps in the back, back of your book, and so you can look up Paul's second missionary journey. Most of the Bibles have that. But let me show you guys a map that I kind of put together right here. So this right here, I don't know if you can see it. I should have like a little marker or like shiner, lighter thing. But Antioch, if you could see Antioch here on the right middle, that was kind of like the, the church that became a launching pad in the book of Acts and what you'll find is they're the church, that's where they were first called Christians. And so it's an amazing work that God did from Antioch. They did the first missionary journey. Uh, but the second missionary journey, you'll notice it right here. He goes north, and then he goes uh, west. And he goes through all these, these other churches right here, which he established on his first missionary journey in Lystra. There's where he picked up Timothy. Iconium, Antioch, Derby, and he's just kind of going through in his first missionary journey. He doesn't really know where, where he's going to end up, but, but he, the Bible says that he tried to go south into Asia, but the Holy Spirit did not permit him. Then he tried to go north into Bithynia, but the, the Lord closed the doors there. And so imagine that Paul the Apostle on this first missionary journey trying doesn't work out. I don't know how he was stopped, but he didn't go there. He didn't go there. You might get discouraged, but you know what he did? He just kept going. And so you find him there in Troas now, and he doesn't know what to do, but he's just keeps, he just keeps going. And then he receives a vision from a man in Macedonia that says, come help us. And so he had that vision, and therefore he concluded that God had called him to Macedonia. And so they, they sail over to Neapolis, and then they end up 10 miles in into Philippi. 
And this is the gospel for the first time launching out into Europe. And it's because of this and steps of faith like this that we in the Western world eventually became predominantly Christian because Paul the Apostle just followed the Lord. And so you'll see that here. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was considered Italian soil. The people uh, prospered because of their freedoms that they had. And it's an amazing church. Paul was blessed by them in many, many ways. It was a special city to Paul. And he wrote this letter to them. Remember, he probably planted the church about A.D. 53. Now he's writing about 10 years later from a, a place in Rome where he's under house arrest. You can read that in the book of Acts, chapter 28. He's there two years under house arrest. Now, we just got done with COVID, and you guys know how depressing that can be. In one sense, you're like confined to your house. How many people suffer from depression and anxiety and even suicide because they were under house arrest? But here's Paul under house arrest writing a letter of joy. How? Because of Jesus. And this is really the background to this whole thing. You know, it's fascinating to read this. And I want to get, share with you guys four things today. There's a, there's, we're going to see a lot more that we go through the, the book of Philippians uh, that things, God is going to use to contribute to the, this thing called joy in our life. But number one, we're going to see that God wants us to be grateful. And so whatever your situation is, you have a different option. If you want to, you can complain. You can complain about things. And some people, unfortunately, by nature, they're more like Eeyore, right? Eeyore. And so my encouragement to you is just thank the Lord, and you're going to see that even though it's a worldly saying that every cloud has a silver lining, God is going to do a beautiful thing. So, so sometimes we go through life, and either we complain, or have you ever like given someone a gift, or maybe you know, you've seen it with your kids or other people, and they don't say thank you? You know, gratitude is huge. And so number one, if you want to be joyful, you're going to have to be grateful. Number two, you're going to see, we're going to see it today, that it's very important to have confidence in God. If you have confidence in God, like we're going to see in verse six, uh, Paul said, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I'm not confident necessarily in you. I love you, but I'm confident in God who's working through you. And there's something about that that brings joy. Number three, we're going to see the love of God. And there's a couple of things that Paul prays for them. And then earlier he talks about this love. But basically, it, when you have that heart, like I, he basically says something interesting. Paul the apostle loved the Philippian church. He loved the Lord and he loved, I think, everybody. But he told them, you are in my heart. You are in my heart. And there's something about that that is very loving. Later he calls them and he says, hey, I pray that you'll have more and more love. What would happen to our church? And then what would happen to your family? What would happen to your friends? What would happen to your coworkers? What would happen to our world if the church grew more and more in love? This is very important. It's going to bring joy to your life, all these things. And then the last thing right here, of course, is to pray. You know, if you don't have a prayer life, my encouragement to you is to take heart from Paul 
And just to know how important it is to me, I think praying is one of the greatest privileges we have in all the world to be able to talk to God and to be able to lift up people. Um, to me, it's, uh, again, the source of joy. And so I do encourage you, keep praying uh, to God. So let's look at this. Uh, first, we're going to look at the greeting in verse 1, where it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, Paul doesn't introduce himself as an apostle. Usually he does, but he doesn't need to right now because this church is such a supportive church that he doesn't really need to bring out the credentials here. He just says, no, it's Paul and Timothy, by the way, and all we are are bondservants of Jesus Christ. You know, Timothy is interesting. Um, he had been picking up, picked up, like I said earlier, in the second missionary journey there in Lystra. So here's a young man. Paul's going and, hey, this guy right here, everybody speaks well of him. You know, and Paul says, hey, why don't you join us? Why don't you join us on this mission's journey? And so Timothy joins them. And then so when Paul plants a church in Philippi, Timothy is with them so they would know him. And Timothy went on to become his son in the faith. Later on, and we're going to read in Philippians chapter 2, he said, I have no one else like Timothy because he sincerely cares for you. And so as he's writing the letter, Paul's writing it. Timothy would probably be the secretary. He would also bear the letter along with Epaphroditus. And he says, hey, Paul and Timothy were, were just bondservants of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the bondservant, you can read about that in Exodus 21, 1 through 6, or Deuteronomy chapter 15, which is just a repetition of the law, verses 12 through 18. So a bondservant is an individual that basically, it was a Hebrew, if you want to go and do your own thing, if you want, you know, you're free to do whatever you want. And that's true. You guys know that, right? There's nobody forcing you to be here. There's nobody forcing you to read your Bible. There's nobody forcing you not to go out and commit fornication or adultery. You can do whatever you want. But a bondservant is the one who said, no, even though I'm free to go, I love my master, I love my family, and I will, therefore, I commit myself to be your slave for life. And that's what Paul and Timothy were. We see it in their life. And that's really what we all should be, you guys. Not just servants, but slaves who have laid down their life for Christ. That's who they were. And he's writing here, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, most of you probably know this, right? But saints is basically a word that's synonymous with someone who is saved. Let me ask you a question today. Are you a born-again Christian? Are you a born-again Christian? Are you saved? Has your life changed? Do you have a desire for spiritual things? Do you have a burden for the lost? Do you love Jesus? Do you believe he died for you and rose again? If you're a Christian, the Bible says, then you are a saint. And all a saint means, and we read it 97 times in the New Testament, you know, unfortunately, we live in a world today where it says, well, we have to watch your life, examine your life, canonize your life. You know, did you do miracles? Did other people do miracles by praying to you? Okay, then we'll make you a saint. And that's not what the Bible says. 
97 times he talks about Christians being saints. And all it means is set apart. You know, we find the word uh, in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, 35 times in the Old Testament, 62 times in the New Testament. It just means to be holy. It means to be set apart. It means to be saved. It means that you're God's children. So Paul here is writing to the Philippian church. He's writing to the saints. And something he doesn't do uh, in the other uh, epistles, it says right here, he says, with the, the bishops and the deacons. And so interesting, he brings them up here. He doesn't bring them up anywhere else in the rest of the letter. Uh, The bishops is the word episkopos, which means overseer. So these would be the leaders. Uh, These are oversight. They have oversight. I'm I'm writing this to you guys. And basically um, what he's saying here is that, you know, I'm writing to you pastors. I'm writing to you leaders. I'm writing to you deacons, and the deacons would be those who are, the Greek word diakonos means one who runs errands. If you read Acts chapter 6, you'll find where they uh, appointed deacons. And so deacons, uh, normally nowadays, we would see those individuals who are taking care of the, the, you know, the money maybe, or what maybe the world might consider menial tasks, but they're not menial tasks. In Acts chapter 6, there was a distinction. He said, okay, we as the apostles, we need to devote ourselves continually to the word of God and to prayer. And then you guys, if you could please take care of these beautiful widows, they need help. And if you could serve tables for them and make sure their benevolent needs are met. And so there was a distinction there. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's also a distinction there between episcopals or pastors and deacons. You can read First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and then if you go down to verse 8, you'll see the distinction there. And so ultimately, though, uh, Jesus is our overseer, episcopos. The Bible says that in First Peter chapter 2, verse 25. And so again, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you might read this and you might not even think twice about it. Yeah, typical greeting. You know, the Greek greeting is grace. The Hebrew reading is peace or shalom. And, you know, you can go on. But of course, I don't think there's nothing, you know, typical or usual. I think it's beautiful. Grace, grace to you. Grace, grace to you, God's unmerited favor to you. You know, if it was justice, if we just got justice, then we'd be in big trouble. I know, and you might think you're better than me or whatever. You may think you're a good person. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't deserve to go to hell. Maybe that's you. You think you're a good person. I don't deserve to go to hell. Listen, I, I, I know I deserve to go to hell because when I sinned, I sinned against God. God, the holy God, the loving God, it was an infinite offense. And so in his mercy, I'm not going there, right? In his justice, I would go there. In his mercy, I'm not going there. But in his grace, I am going to heaven. Think about that. Because of God's grace. You know, I don't know how your week was. Did any of you guys sin this week? I'm just curious. Did any of you sin? We all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And so, you know, thank God for his grace. Listen, you're here today and you're loved. 
You're here today and God will lavish his blessings upon you. Why? Because of his grace. It's God's reward at Christ's expense. It's a good acronym. It's God's unmerited favor in our life. That even though we deserve hell, he's going to give us heaven. Even though we deserve bad, God is going to give us blessings. You know, he says grace to you. And then what always follows a good understanding of grace is peace. Okay, now I have peace. You know, I know that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I know that God is for me. I know that God is for my wife. I know that God is for my daughter, for my son. And it just gives me that peace. And this we see, you know, grace and peace, Siamese twins in the New Testament. You can never have peace unless you first have grace. And that's why they're always in that order. And so here Paul is writing to them, and they go together. It's from God our Father, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so first thing, look at verse 3. That's just the greeting, is to be grateful to God. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He says there in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know, Paul said, man, whenever I think of you, I get like this, this gratitude in my heart. Have you ever met someone, you know what, whenever you think of them, whenever, I can't, there's nothing, whenever I get any memory, all my memories of him and all my memories of her are good. That's what Paul said about the Philippian church. They were different than the Corinthians. They were different than the Galatians. You know, there was something beautiful, special about the church in Philippi. And he says, man, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He was grateful to the Philippian church for so many reasons. And we're going to see as we go through the letter that in one sense, Philippians was written as a thank you letter to them. Thank you for your support. And it happened in prayers. It happened in fellowship. It happened in the financial contributions. And and as Paul lifted them up in prayer, they always brought joy to our hearts, his heart. Paul's mission was to preach the gospel so that souls would be saved and so that people would become, you know, saints rather than ain'ts, right? And so, you know, the Philippian church supported him in that. Uh, There's no doubt, you know, when he talks about the fellowship of the gospel, that he's talking about the way they served and the way they encouraged, but probably primarily about the way they gave. Look at Philippians chapter 4, you guys, real quick, if you would. Look at verse 10. Because this is kind of why he wrote the letter to thank them. Verse 10, but, but now I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, California, doesn't matter, Arizona, to, to be content. And I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned, it's interesting he learned this, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, he says, you have done well 
that you have shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so he was thanking them in the Philippian letter for the gift, for the support they had given to him. And this is a really quick side note. You know, as a pastor or as a leader, um, you know, you you know, it's a blessing when you have those people who support you. They they support you in their prayers. They support you in their words of encouragement. And sometimes they even support you in the way they give. Now, of course, those of you here, you give to the church, and that's the way it is. You're not thinking I'm giving to the pastor, but man, the pastor knows, and he's appreciative of the support that um, that that we get. And I'm blown away at Calvary Chapel Almani. I'm blown away because this is not, you know, a, a rich city, but you are a generous people. I'm, if you know, I, I I remember when we first started the church. And people said, hey, you guys aren't going to survive in Almani, you know, because, you know, whatever, they have their reasonings. There's not a lot of money or whatever. You know, it's not like some other cities that have a lot. And, you know, and, that's, and I said, I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that God has called uh, me to start a church, us to, you know, preach the gospel, and we'll see what happens. And, uh, and just over the years, you know, wherever it was, you know, you can't afford to do this, but God says, do it anyways. And then the finances follow. And then God says, you can't afford that building on Garvey. You can't afford that location here. I just found out it's two years that we've had the, the West Wing, our youth center. And I remember when we first signed up for that, that lease for that, we couldn't afford that. But God, now it's been two years. And not only has he provided for that, but he's provided so much more. During COVID, I was tripping out because a lot of churches ended up kind of like going the wrong way but we ended up like, man, just God multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. And I know it's the Lord. I know it's God who provides. That's one lesson that God has taught me over the years. But as a pastor, I'm so grateful. Like Paul was grateful for the Philippian church because of the way that they supported. And that because that means that they care. That means that they love. And that's all we see right here. He was grateful for them. Notice back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and as he's praying for them, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all. They just brought joy with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. Notice from the first day until now. And if you go back to Acts chapter 16 and you read when the church started, you'll find that in, the, in Philippi, there were not 10 Jews. They didn't have a synagogue. And so the ladies would customarily meet by the river and there the ladies would pray. And so Paul the apostle went, he saw the ladies and there was this lady there named Lydia. And the Bible says that God opened her heart and she received the gospel. And it just so happens that Lydia was a seller of purple. Now that meant that more than likely she had you know, a, a good amount of money. And so uh, he says, from the first day, 
from the first day until now, it's been 10 years, I don't have a bad memory of you. That's how beautiful you are. You guys bring joy to my heart when I'm praying for you. And I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel. And we're going to see the word fellowship through this whole letter. It's an amazing word, not just financial giving, but that is part of it. Serving, that's part of it. Suffering, that's part of it. Because Paul will go on to say the fellowship of his sufferings. We've done this together. And I'm so grateful for you, an amazing, amazing church. And that's how I feel. That's how I feel about you guys. Although you're not perfect, none of us are. I'm not perfect, that's for sure. I really do believe we have a good thing that God is doing here in this church. And I'm so grateful. And so it's a blessing to see this. Number one, the joy will come, I think, when we have that attitude of gratitude. Number two, notice the confidence that Paul has here. Notice he says in verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all. And I will stop there, you know, because I think in one sense it goes with the confidence, but it can go either way. I, I do know this, that the, you'll have joy when you have confidence in God. Do you have confidence in God? I mean, even in the world that we live in today, we've we got to have confidence. Right here, Paul says, now, I, I'm confident of this. And he gets really specific, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it. I, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work. And as a pastor, and as, you know, Paul's looking at the Philippian church, you know, I'll tell you this, you look at people and, and, you, and you can actually get like freaked out or distressed or bummed out because, you know, you're wondering, well, how's so-and-so doing? I haven't seen him at church lately. Well, how's so-and-so doing? They just didn't look, you know, like they were wanting to be there, you know, today. How's so-and-so doing? And, and just different things that you hear that are going on and, and, and so we can start as a pastor, you can start beginning to putting all the load on yourself. Well, it's because I'm not good enough, because I'm not preaching good enough, because I'm not praying enough. You know, it's because of me and my sin. And then, and then you can start looking at them and you can say, well, they, they can't do it and they're so weak and they've gone through this when they were young and all the things are against them. And you can start looking at yourself and you can start looking at them. But then when you get your eyes off yourself and off of them and you get your eyes on God, and what he says right here is, I'm confident in this very thing, in him. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And that brings us joy. Jesus died for you, right? He rose again. The day came when you believed on him. You are here today because he loves you. And I'm telling you this, man, that God, that, you know, he's not like us. Have you guys ever started a project at home and not finished it? Have you guys ever done that? Have you ever started a book? and not finished it. I mean, there's probably a million things that we've started that we haven't finished. But do you think that God would do that? Do you think that God would start something and not finish it? That doesn't sound like his character to me. 
And when Paul is thinking about this, and I know there's soteriological elements of this, and people are starting getting all freaked out and stuff like that. I just know this, that when the Bible teaches this, I'm going to teach it, and this is what Paul is saying right here, and this brings me joy. Because I love you guys, and I care for you, and I, you know, you know, sometimes you, you worry, but then you get your eyes back on the Lord, and Paul says, no, I have this confidence, man. And I, and I think he's writing to a church, and we're going to see later, that they're going through it. They're going through sufferings. I know you're going through things, but God is going to work it out for good. And Paul here says, I'm confident that God is going to perfect that which concerns you. And then we read in verse 7, again, just as it is right for me to think this of you, notice, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly, here it is, I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Does anyone here interested in having more joy in your life wouldn't that be cool and people look at you and they're like man what drug are you on and you're like man i'm on the holy spirit man and he just brings me joy they'll see it i mean every once in a while you'll see people and i think by nature they're just more outgoing you know by nature they're more happy by nature they're more joyful but that can happen to any one of us if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, because we know that joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, as a Christian, and you're getting mature, and you're getting, you know, you're growing in the Lord, and then, you know, next thing you know, you find yourself grateful, grateful, grateful. Next thing you know, as you're going through life, you find yourself confident, grateful to God. Thank you, Jesus, because I know you would not allow anything to come my way unless it's been filtered through your sovereign will, and I know it's going to be good for me. So thank you, Jesus, and I have confidence in you, God, because it doesn't matter what I'm facing. Later on, he talks about that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Confidence not in me, confidence in him. And then what about this thing called love? When that begins to grow in your life, if you don't have no joy, it's because you don't have no love. We have to love the Lord and we have to love others. It's interesting. He says, when I pray and I think of you, now he says, I have you in my heart. And for every pastor, every person should be in his heart. Now, it's interesting. In one sense, he said, I have you in my mind. I have you in my heart. Later on, he's going to say, the most important thing, in one sense, I have you in my prayers. That's kind of how it works. You know, what we find right here, Paul is saying, you know, this love is so so important. I I have you in my heart. And and verse 7 Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of of grace. And I think that what he's saying right there in verse 7, more than likely, is in reference to him there being in in Philippi and then traveling 10 years later, he finds himself under arrest in Rome. Can I ask you a question? What is he doing in Rome? What is he doing there? You guys know what he's doing there, right? He is testifying to Caesar Nero. He is testifying to these soldiers that he's chained to. They're getting saved. People from the palace, we're going to see later, they're getting saved. Caesar Nero is going to hear the gospel. And what Paul is saying right there is that it's not just me doing this. 
you in your giving, in your prayer, in your support, in your participation, your fellowship, you're here with me just as I'm doing it, you're doing it, we're doing this together. You are partakers with me of this grace. And I love what he says in verse 8, for God is my witness. God knows, I'm not lying. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the word, uh, as we go through here, the word affection, it, it, has, it has to do with just the compassion. And it's the same word that was used of Jesus frequently in the Gospels when he would see the people and they were scattered and weary as sheep having no shepherd. And he was moved with compassion. And that's what Paul says, God knows. That's how I feel for you. You know, and it's amazing looking at this love that Paul has here it is just so deep. You know, others might, you know, they, they might look at Paul. I mean, how, how would you feel if you found out your friend was locked up in county jail? Oh, poor so-and-so. You know, poor guy, right? Not with Paul, the poor, but it, for Paul, it was doors. Doors of opportunity to minister whether it was a Roman soldier, uh, times of defense and the confirmation of the gospel, he testified to those leaders. And he tells the Philippians here, basically, you're just as much a part, a part, part of this as I am. He uses that word partakers with me of this grace. And so for us, understanding, you know, the way it works is just a blessing right here. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 8 in the Amplified Version says, For God is my witness, how I long for you and pursue you all with love in the tender mercy of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul says, The the Lord knows how much I long for you. And and so I I think we can be inspired by Paul, who was grateful, optimistic, and, and loving in the midst of trials. But I also believe that we can be inspired by the Philippian church. Wow, what a people. So giving, so godly, so supportive. Paul didn't have any bad memories of them. Wouldn't it be cool if, you know, because sometimes you hear on the funerals, have you guys ever gone to a funeral where someone stands up there and they say, in all honesty, I can't think of anything bad to say about this person. Now, maybe it's too late for you, and you're like, oh, I think I can think of a few bad things about me. (laughs) But I think in one sense, hey, from this point forward, man, be blameless. Don't be drama disciples. You know how God help us to have this heart, the Philippian church, so beautiful, right? So we got to be grateful. We got to be confident. We have to be loving. And then we just have to keep praying. Look at verse 9. And you can actually memorize this, and you can pray this. And this I pray that your love, there it is again, may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. Beautiful prayer. It really is. When you look at this prayer, it consists of a few things that we'll talk about, um, five things. But, but when you love people, like I said earlier, they were in his mind, his thoughts, they were in his heart, 
And now they're in his prayers. And I, and I hope you know, just as a real quick side note, your prayers make a difference. You're praying for your family, praying for your wife, praying for your kids, it makes a difference. You're praying for the ministry, you're praying for the church, you're praying for the, our leaders. I mean, your prayers do make a difference. And when you love people, you, you pray for them. I know, I know there's more to it, but I don't think there's anything more important than it. It would be sin, as a matter of fact, if pastors didn't pray for the people. First Samuel twelve twenty three. Samuel said, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. So if a pastor doesn't pray for the people, he's in sin. And I would say this, that if you're not praying for your family, you're in sin. Prayerlessness is sin. And so for us, it's important. You want to have joy? You know, have gratitude, have confidence, have love, and have a prayer life. It's important. Paul did. We see it here. He prayed, number one, that the Christians would be more loving. Look again in verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Now, let me ask you a question. They, they, they were already a loving church. They were already a loving church. So he doesn't pray, hey, man, you guys got to start loving each other. No, they were already loving each other. They were already a loving church. But you know what he said? There's more love. Yeah, and, and, and I pray that no matter who you are, some of you guys are the most lovely people and praise God for the work that he's done, but do you realize that you can actually grow more and more and more and more as a loving person? That's pretty cool, huh? And that, that should be our desire, and that's what Paul is praying. I pray that your love would abound still more and, and more, and of course we know it's a love for God and a love for people, but, but it's interesting what he says right here in all discernment. Look again. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now that's interesting because if you love God, it's not a feeling. It's not like a fuzzy feeling. Hey, did you get the tingles? No, it's not like that. If you love God, you'll, you'll obey God. And if you love others, um, you're going to have the highest, you know, interest in mind for them to be saved. You know, what, what, we, what it says right here is that loving God, you have to kind of know if you, you need discernment in things. You know, to me, um, we're doing this Dodger thing. And again, you know, you guys know this or, or do you not know this? You know, so Target, they're putting their, you know, their, 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 their pride stuff in the front of the store and so there's a pushback from the Christians, you know, because they have, you know, these, they're, they're targeting our kids. Okay? They're crossing lines. And so, you know, there's a little bit of pushback. There's a little bit of pushback. Or maybe there's a lot. Maybe there should be more. Hey, I'm not going to go to Target anymore, whatever. But anyway, so what they, I don't know if it's going to stay this way. So they decided to put it in the back of the store. And so um, let me ask you a question. Is that a victory? It's still there. It's still there. But, but if there's no voice, if there's no pushback, 
If there's no, you know, in a church is doing nothing about it, then do you, do you see how it will just increase the perversity will just increase. Do you see that? They're, they're not going to stop. Now, do we love them? Absolutely. Love, respect, tolerate, but not celebrate. Not saying, oh, okay, I see what you believe. Here, take my kids and go ahead and educate them. And now they're educated in things that we believe, according to the scriptures, are not true. They're, they're actually things that will condemn them to hell. But here, go ahead, take my kids and do whatever you want. I tell you what, if my son wants to have, a, you know, my daughter, your kids or whatever, they want to change their sexual identity, you know, they're there at school, you don't even have to tell me. It's okay, no big deal. And so the, should the church stay silent? Absolutely, we, we, absolutely not. All that's necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing absence of, of, of the voice, silence, is actually a message. No, we have to, because I know you guys, you're going to go out there. You're not just here on Sundays. You have to go out on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and you have to face all this. Here, here's something that is interesting. Look at this verse, and this I pray, verse 9, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And you're wondering, what's he talking about, knowledge and all discernment? that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now, that's interesting. Go to Romans chapter 1, if you would, real quick. And in Romans chapter 1, it talks about sin, and it talks about the things that we're facing. It talks about homosexuality and men with men and women with women. It talks about other sins as well. That's not the only sin. Just sin is sin, right? But, But look at Romans chapter 1, in verse 31, it talks about what's going to happen when God's judgment comes. It says in verse 31, Romans 1, undiscerning, there it is, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing, knowing that the righteous judgment of God, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They approve of it. There's a parade. We make a month out of it. And what what we see right here in the book of Philippians is I pray that your love would grow more and more in all knowledge and discernment that that you may know what to approve and what not to approve. Why? Because I love you, God. And I love these people. And you know, I'm not saying that we have to talk about it every five seconds. All I'm saying is that we have to know where we stand. And as the Holy Spirit gives us a voice, we got to share what we, we need to share. Please, whatever you do, don't be mean to people. Don't disrespect people. Love everyone. But don't misunderstand what we're talking about right here, that a love for God means that we know what's right and what's wrong according to his word. And Paul here is praying for them in that. I pray for you guys in that. I'm praying for you, he says back in our notes, that you'd be more loving Christians, that you are Christians who approve the right things. Number three, that you would be sincere Christians. That's what he says there 
in Philippians chapter 1 and verse um, 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And that sincerity, it actually comes from two Greek words, which means son and judge. Son and judge, two Greek words. And so what it basically means is holding something up to the sun so that you can get a really good look at it and then kind of find out if it's real. And so what he's saying right here, you guys, not, none of us are perfect, but hopefully we're sincere. We're not hypocrites. We're not doing this for, you know, for the wrong reason. We are here because we love the Lord and we love people. And we're, we're doing our best to follow Jesus. Real simple, but at the same time, very sincere. That's what he's saying. That's, this is my prayer. Number four, that you'd be fruitful Christians, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. And then the last thing is that you would be Christians who glorify God. And did you guys know this, that this is the reason for our existence? So you guys go to Calvary Chapel Almani, right? Okay, some of you do. Let me, are you, everyone that's here, raise their hands. I'm just kidding. All right. Okay, so one day, let's just say you're standing before God, and God says, okay, what was the reason for your existence? What was the reason for your existence? You've got to know the right answer. Okay, I'm telling you right now, is to glorify God. That's the reason you're made. That's the reason I was made, to glorify God, right? And, and number two, to enjoy Him. To enjoy Him. When you glorify God, when you have a heart to glorify God, you're going to enjoy him. And that's what he's saying right here, man. I pray this for you guys. I'm praying for you guys. You're filled with fruits of righteousness and you're just like Jesus and you're such a beautiful people because you're biblical people. And, you know, and it's just all this. And what at the end of the day, it's, it's not like, oh man, you know, like let's say someone comes up to you one day and they're just like, wow, you're such an amazing person. You're so generous. You're so awesome. What would you do? You would tell them, I'm not. I'm not. He is. And if there's anything that you see that's good in me, it's not me. It's him. Because he gets all the glory and all the honor, Right? And as we look at these things right here, Paul is just saying, this is going to be, you know, the recipe for joy, you know, to be grateful, to be confident, to be loving, and to be a people who pray. And I'm going to close with a dorky illustration. The other day, my wife was showing me a cup that she got, and she said, you know, this is, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plastic cup. He says, if you, but if you bring this plastic cup here, they, they, they knock off 10 cents for every drink. And I said, really? That makes a lot of sense. That's what I told her. And so, did, did you get it? All right. They knock off 10 cents for every drink you buy. I told her, that makes a lot of sense. Anyways, looking at our study today, to me, it makes a lot of sense. Attitude of gratitude, confidence in God love for God and his people and a prayer life. I'll tell you what, if you do those things, you're going to have joy. You really will.